you may be seated. I encourage you to join me now in taking your Bibles and turn with me to the last verse, the last chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 31. Last Lord's Day, we looked at all of chapter 13. This morning, we're going to wrap up our study of Nehemiah by looking at the prayer that ends this book. It's a very short prayer, a very simple prayer. But the prayer, in many ways, encompasses all the message of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 13, verses, verse 31. Let me pray for us as we come now together before God's word. We pray to you, our good God and Father. We are asking that you may forgive all of our faults and offenses and illuminate us by your Holy Spirit so we may have the true understanding of your Holy Word. Give us the grace that we need we may handle it purely and faithfully, and to do so to the glory of your holy name, for the good of the church and for our salvation. We ask these things in the name of the only and blessed Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nehemiah 13, verse 31. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. A short, simple, and meaningful prayer from Nehemiah. Remember me, O my God. For good. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. There are numerous privileges and blessings in being a pastor. But one of the greatest, one of the top blessings and privileges as a pastor is to officiate the funerals of a godly saint. And by that I mean the sort of Christian you know beyond a shadow of a doubt is a Christian. You're beyond sure they love Christ first, most deeply and faithfully, because they know how much Christ first loved them so deeply and faithfully. Their lives served as a model of the Christian faith, of what it meant to faithfully follow after Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're the sort of Christian you look at and you go, that's what I want to be like. And over my years of ministry, I've had the privilege of officiating a number of these funerals for these sort of godly saints. And I've found that there's a common theme when it comes to these funerals for these people. And that theme is their Bibles. Usually in the process of the funeral, I will meet with the family, we'll meet here at the church, we'll meet in their home, and at some point, they bring me their loved one's Bible. And they often look the same. The Bible is well-worn. The, the, the cover is cracked. The, the pages are, are crinkled and worn. And as you flip through it, you, you find verses and passages that have been underlined and marked and circled. On the side of the page, they have written notes about that passage. There there are pieces of random paper stuck in the pages, and they contain these random notes from sermons and Bible studies over the years. As you hold these Bibles, you can easily picture that person with that Bible in their hands, as they come up the steps every Sunday morning for worship. And as the passage is announced, you you can hear the crinkling of the pages as they turn to that passage. And at some point, you can 
see them underlining a verse or making a note on the side. You can see it open on their kitchen table, a cup of coffee next to it, ready for their morning devotions. You can see it on their bedside table, knowing it will be read right before the lamp is turned off and they roll over to go to sleep. Their Bibles serve as a wonderful picture of their faith in Christ. A picture of a faith that is from the Father, based in the Son, nourished by the Spirit in the very Word of their very God. It reminds us of that wonderful proverb from Charles Spurgeon, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's a picture of that sort of faith that you and I should aim to have. We have seen the same sort of faith in Nehemiah as we spent the past nine months together in his book, in this book. And I think if we were to have a copy of of Nehemiah's Bible, I think it would be in the same condition. It would be worn, it would be crinkled, it would be underlined, there would be notes on the side. That his Bible would be a picture of the faithfulness we find recorded for us in this story. But Nehemiah was by no means a perfect Christian. In him we also find someone who is like us. Nehemiah is the story, it paints the picture of an imperfect man who had faith in a perfect God. Nehemiah is just like you and me. He is an imperfect man, yet he had placed his faith in a perfect God. That's why I think it's no mistake that he ends his narrative, not with the end or or with these other reforms made. He ends this narrative with a simple direct prayer. Remember me, O my God, for good. The prayer of an imperfect man and his faith and a perfect God. And actually, this, this last chapter contains three of Nehemiah's prayers. Verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Verse 22, Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. And of course, this last prayer, Remember me for good. Of course, all these prayers were prayed in the context of Nehemiah coming back to Jerusalem after 12 years. 12 years previous, he had come back to the city. The people were being brought in out of exile. He is called by God to come back and to rebuild the wall, rebuild and restore it. His blood, sweat, and tears are in this project. From that project then comes this great revival and reformation of God's people. He goes back to Jerusalem. 12 years later, he comes back and he finds out all this. All the spiritual good, the spiritual revival, spiritual reformation of the covenant community was now being replaced by their willful, sinful neglect of their faith and their souls. It's no longer good times. It's no longer spiritual reformation taking place. It is a spiritual uh, a, a, a spiritual lessening and, and going backwards. Back into the same sins that their forefathers had committed that had led them into exile. And so as we, we think about that context and we read through these prayers, then we can look at Nehemiah and we can seem, it can seem that these prayers are self-serving. Remember me 
for my good deeds. Remember me for what I've done. Remember me, O God, for what I've done. Do this for my favor. Remember me for my good. He sounds like a modern day person, doesn't he? Me, myself, and I. Pray for me, 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 and me. And this can seem so selfish. He would pray this way after he's come back. After he's seen the community in such spiritual disarray and poor health. So it could be easy for us to rile Nehemiah and go, ah, he's another Charleston. He's a fake. He's a phony. But this is where context helps us so much. Because for the previous chapters, we have read about a man who loves God and obeys God. That he has poured himself into the covenant community as they are brought back from exile. He's not a phony. He's not a fake. It's 12 years later, he come back, and it's like the covenant community hasn't learned one single lesson. They haven't listened to any bit of wisdom. I imagine it's a lot like being a parent, where you try to teach your children these life lessons and you try to guide them along and say, this is what's good for you. This is what you need to do. Please, you need to consider going this path. As soon as you're done talking, it's like you've said nothing. They go off and do everything wrong. They do the very thing you've told them not to do. And all you can do is throw your arms up in frustration and pray that God would keep you from strangling your own child. But I think this is where we find Nehemiah. He's frustrated. He's sad. He's angry. But what's he do? He goes to God in prayer. And he prays for himself so he can better deal with this situation. He comes before God because he knows he has to deal winsomely with these people. So he's not a phony. He's just desperate for God's help. But another part of his context is really the, the bigger picture. And that is the covenant faithfulness of God. And that is what's central to this book. We can think of it shorthand that the Nehemiah and re, rebuilding the wall, but as we have seen, the story of the wall is there to point to God's covenant faithfulness. As we have been studying in Sunday School Lamentations, uh, by, we believe by, by Jeremiah that, that God's people have been sinning over and over and over again, have become unrepentant in it, in it even have come to the point of daring God to do something. Right? They, they've reached such a rebellious stage. It's like they've got to the point of going, all right, big man, what are you going to do? Bring it on. God sends them into exile for generations. Now he's bringing them out. He's bringing them back to the holy city and he's doing this all for the purpose of covenant renewal, for the purpose to renew his people in truth and faith that God made a covenant to be their God and for them to be his people. And the wall is there in part to facilitate that, to give them a place and security for them to be gathered together as God's people. God's covenant community who he is reviving and he is reforming. We are to think of the story of Nehemiah like a pirate treasure map. God's covenant faithfulness would be where X marks the spot. 
And everything leads up to that. And that is the treasure. And that treasure then changes everything. And that's where Nehemiah's prayers come from. These are the prayers of a man who has placed his faith in God and the covenant he has made. One who has been a part of who has seen and been a part of God's covenant faithfulness has seen the result of God's covenant faithfulness. So when Nehemiah prays, remember me, this isn't isn't begging. This isn't a, a prayer born from doubt. This is a prayer born from faith in God and the covenant of grace that he made with Nehemiah when he said to Nehemiah and to all his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. Nehemiah's prayer here is anchoring himself in the covenantal God. Why should God remember me? Why should God remember Nehemiah? Because God made a covenant with me. And he is always perfectly faithful to it, even when I haven't been. It's this covenant and covenant faithfulness as the foundation of Nehemiah's faithfulness in praying. And that's what we have seen in that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. And think about his life chronologically, as we've been told. When he hears the bad news concerning the wall around Jerusalem, what's he do? He goes and he prays. When he feels compelled to do something about it, what's he do? He goes and he prays. When he goes, when he has a chance to go before the king to ask to do this, What's he do? He prays. When he gets the okay to go restore the wall, what's he do? He prays. When he goes to work on a wall, he prays. When he gathers the people together, he prays. When they're gathered together for worship, he prays. Then when they fall back into sin, he prays. <coughs> Nehemiah's life and faith is marked by prayer. Not desperation, not doubt, but complete confidence in God's covenant faithfulness. It's the confidence that God has brought us safe thus far And surely he will lead us home. And we have that same anchor for our prayers as well. We pray because of God's covenant faithfulness to us. If you are a Christian, then he has covenanted to be your God. And he has covenanted that you will be his people. We don't pray just because we're good ARPs. We don't pray just because we're pretty good at it. We don't pray because we think we can nag and can convince God into our way. We don't pray because we think it's the equivalent of throwing a a penny into a fountain hoping we get something. We pray to God because God has promised to be our God and for us to be his people. And he has never, ever failed that for any of us. All of us in here are the results of prayers. All of us in here have seen God's answer to prayers. All of us in here should be going to God in prayer because he has always been faithful to be your God. Why do we pray? Because God is faithful to us. We also find that God's covenants is faithful, is foundational to Nehemiah's life. He's been so faithful. Nehemiah has been so faithful to God and to His Word, and it's simply because he knows God has been 
faithful to his covenant. He's been faithful to be his God. Again, think about Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's life chronologically. It's interesting to note when, when he first hears the bad news about the condition of all, where is Nehemiah? He's in exile. Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He has never laid his eyes on the city of Jerusalem. Maybe somebody's drawn him a picture, but he's never seen it. He's only heard the stories. He's only heard the memories shared. Nehemiah is an exile. He's living in a foreign land among foreign people under a foreign king. Yet he was so moved by what he was told that he immediately went into prayer about it. And at some point along the way, Nehemiah prayed that God would use him to fix this problem. How can Nehemiah do this? How is there such a life of faith? Because he knows that God is faithful to his covenants. God is always faithful to be his God. So Nehemiah knows no other way to live than to be faithful and to obey his faithful God. Nehemiah cannot look at the covenant and say, "Mm, not good enough for me. He can't look at God's faithfulness and go, "Mm, not good enough for me. He is so overwhelmed by this covenant of grace and this God of grace. All he knows how to do is say, Lord, take me and use me. I want to be yours. He's heard the stories of how God, good God is. We say, it, we say it before. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Nehemiah knows that. He has seen it in others. He has seen it in his own life. Is that covenant faithfulness of God that informs Nehemiah to live out his life and faith in such a way. For the past several years, we have used the first Sunday of the new year uh, for our covenant renewal service. And our confession of faith that we use for that is actually a prayer from John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church. And I want you to listen to what John Wesley prayed and what we have confessed together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. It's quite the prayer, isn't it? It's not the prayer of a nominal Christian. That's not the prayer of somebody who can look at the covenant of grace and go, "Mm, not enough for me. That's that's not somebody who can look in the face of the covenant of God and go, "Mm, you're not good enough for me. This is the prayer of someone who bows in awe to the covenant faithfulness of God, someone like Nehemiah, someone like you and I should want to be like. Does God's covenant faithfulness inform your faith and how you live?
when you hear those words and you know you have placed your faith in that promise of God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. Is that what informs how you believe and how you live? Could you go to a prayer meeting with John Wesley and could you pray this with him? I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Could you say amen to that? Does God's covenant faithfulness inform your every step, your every belief, everything you are as a Christian? And I think this is where we ought to pause and ask, where did an imperfect man such as Nehemiah come? Where did he get a faith such as this? He's imperfect. But he has this faith in a perfect God. Where does it come from? The answer is the answer we learn in every Sunday school lesson. is Jesus. It's simply and thoroughly because of Jesus. Nehemiah is an Old Testament Christian. Which means his perspective was he knew Genesis 3.15. He knew that his covenantal God had made a covenant of grace. To send forth a seed from the woman who would be the Messiah and the mediator. So Nehemiah believed in that promise and he looked forward to the fulfillment of that promise. And he knew he didn't deserve such grace as this seed of the woman. He knew he didn't deserve such grace as this Messiah and mediator. But he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt his gracious God would provide that very thing for him and all of his people. So Nehemiah looked forward to it. Where did that faith come from? He looked forward to the cross. You and I look backwards to the cross. We know who Genesis 3.15 is, don't we? It's the very Son of God. Emmanuel who came to be the fulfillment of that promise. We know And the covenant grace has been fulfilled in the Emmanuel, God incarnate, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And we know the equation. Faith comes from Christ because it begins in Christ and it can only continue with Christ. Where do we have a faith like this? Just like the faith of every other Christian throughout time. It's all in Jesus. We turn to Him we always turn to Him. We place our faith in Him because we could never seek to put it anywhere else. And when we enter into that covenant with Him, then everything changes. We want nothing more than to live, than to live like our Lord, to love like our Savior, to be merciful like our Mediator, to be gracious like the One who is grace. And we can join hands with Paul. And we can say along with him his mantra, for me to live as Christ. For me to live as Christ. 
for me to live is Christ. That is covenant faithfulness. And that is how we are faithful to the covenant God has made with us for me to live as Christ. Jesus tells his disciples that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a rhetorical statement because we know we can only love Jesus when we know he first loved us. And when we truly know the covenant love of God in Christ, then there is nothing else we'd rather do than to keep all of his commandments. But we also know we are sinners. We know we are imperfect. We know we will fail. And that's where the covenant of grace calls us to be so quick to repent of our sins, not to wallow in them, not to nurture them, not to get to the point where we look at God and we dare him to come off his throne to do something about it. We come and we bring them to him because we have seen how good and gracious he is. This faith begins with Jesus, the one who has promised in the covenant of grace, the one who is the mediator of this covenant. So we turn to Christ. We stay in Christ so we can have a faith like this. So what do we learn from Nehemiah? That our God is a good God who is faithful to the covenant he has made with his people. And we enter into this covenant through faith in Jesus and we keep it by loving Jesus and following after him, always following after him. May that lesson stay with us. So one day when I stand in this pulpit to officiate your funeral, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, They love Jesus because they know how much Jesus first loved them. Pray with me.